0: Welcome to Modern Career, I'm your host, Mary Humiston. Whether you're thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career, we want to help you live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my HR leadership expertise, and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, pointers, career stories, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to the first discussion in our Leadership Profile series. Today, we're talking with Bas Geyer, who is the Chief Information Officer and Chief Digital Transformation Officer of VMware. Basque is a global information and technology and digital transformation leader, a very respected industry veteran, Basque has more than 25 years executing and driving change in Fortune 100 manufacturing companies and Silicon Valley based high tech firms. Basque has been the chief information officer and a general manager for Dell Technologies, CIO for Juniper Networks, CIO at Honeywell, and CIO at GlaxoSmithKline Beecham. He holds a BS in mechanical engineering from Annamali University in India and a master's in computer science from Florida Institute of Technology. Welcome, Basque, and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hello, Mary. How are you?
0: I'm really good. Thanks again for joining us. We can learn so much from your amazing background and all of your experiences. Can you give us just a few highlights from your career journey?
1: I graduated from an engineering college, and in India, I started selling refrigerators and air conditioners in a city called Bangalore. 30, 30 years ago. Long story short, I didn't realize Bangalore would become such an important city. I was bored. I was single. There was nothing to do. There was no bars. It was a sleepy town, and I should have just bought real estate, and then we don't have to do any work after that. But I started selling refrigerators, and then I branched out to try to sell computers, and I lost almost all the money I made because I didn't know anything about computers at that time. So, 30 years ago, I wanted to come to the US to get educated, to start going back to sell computers. That was my kind of goal. And then I came into Florida Tech and met my wife, my girlfriend at that time, and my wife, and I fell in love with the country. I had an opportunity to work in Cape Canaveral, some of the space projects, which I never expected to do. And then from there, I Started working in manufacturing industries in Midwest, and then with Johnson & Johnson doing what they call computer integrated manufacturing, which is now called IoT, robotics, et cetera. And then honed my technical skills in a few places like GlaxoSmithKline. Honeywell, I joined about 2000. And if you recall, at that time, we were talking about digital transformation in 2000. My title uh, was VP of Digital Transformation. It's very fashionable now, but in 2000, that's what we call those jobs. So, and then I spent about 10 years in Honeywell, which was great because they took me around the world Spent a few years in China as a general manager, a few years in California, and then back as a group CIO for Honeywell. But I always had this itch to work with Silicon Valley. So 10 years ago, I got the itch to come and work for Juniper Networks, which was growing rapidly. And I worked for a gentleman called Kevin Johnson at that time, who is now the CEO of Starbucks. It was a f- great opportunity to learn about Silicon Valley. And about five years ago, I got an opportunity through networking to meet with Pat Kelsinger, the CEO of VMware. And I've been a CIO and doing other things for VMware for the last five years.
0: I mean, it sounds to me like you followed your passions or your curiosities and what seems smart, and you kind of followed the path as that it that made sense.
1: I would think so. I mean, Sometimes people look like I've planned this whole thing out, and sometimes it's making the best of the opportunities you get. And the other thing is taking some risks. Going from Honeywell, as you would know, if you're an EVP in Honeywell, you're pretty much done. I think you get pension, you get medical benefits for life, you get a corporate jet, and you. most people would say, oh, just stay there, stay put. And I felt like I had to take another risk to go join another smaller company and turned out to be one of the better decisions. So that is one. And secondly, I mean, you play with the cards you're dealt. So it always starts like do a good job of what you're doing right now and then prepare yourself for the
0: next opportunity. That's awesome. And you started as I think you said, was it a mechanical engineer? Yes. Have you leveraged that as well? Or did you find it was a foundation and you really moved quite differently into a different career path?
1: Well, I never thought I would use it. I thought I was in computer science, and that was not a good degree. This is why I think education always comes in handy. But when I was a CIO in a turbocharger industry within Honeywell, I think one of the HR person, you may know her, asked me to be also the R&D head for their engineering for a period of time. And you would wonder, why is this IT guy being a leader for engineering? And and, and turbochargers were very high mechanical components we had a lot of PhDs in mechanical engineering working for us. It turned out to be the best experience. The fact that I had the degree got my foot in there. And the fact that I didn't know a lot about that particular function brought out other leadership traits, made you sometimes, if you are differently enabled and you don't have skill sets to do what is required, you find other skill sets in your leadership traits. So that was a great opportunity to go find how to find the right people, how to lead them, how to inspire them, even though you're not a technical expert. So it did come in handy. Everything came in handy.
0: So Bas, what else might it be, as you think about it, about you or your style, given that you took a lot of risks, as you said, and even you had the itch to go to Silicon Valley and all of the kinds of things you did, confidence-wise, that's not always easy for everyone. What do you think else maybe came into play from your personality or your background that allowed you to have such a rich career path?
1: You have to acknowledge there's an element of luck, so you don't want to be not humble and say that there was good luck. But the, what I'm particularly proud is most of the opportunities I've gotten because of somebody I knew in the job who had gone elsewhere or knew somebody else. So I think it's important to build a good network, and that's why I say you have to do a good job, especially these days in two clicks you can find out about a person you don't need to do reference checks right i mean you know exactly what a person is capable of and then having a good network both within the company and when people leave maintaining the network has been pretty helpful curiosity you can call it add but the fact that you have one life and you want to learn as many things as possible and different things has actually helped so i have an itch to learn more things so that that has helped and then the more important thing as you go into leadership positions, I believe, is the ability to attract great talent. And we wonder why people won't report into you or work for you just because you have a title. They need to want to work for you. They need to feel like you're a good person. You have a vision. You can take them to their dreams, etc. That's the skill sets I had to learn to develop. So I would think those are the skills that help the networking, the ability to set vision, to take some risks. But listen, a lot of Well,
0: yes, but you know what? You've always been really great, as you say, maintaining that external network and presence. And I mean, we kind of grew up in companies where it was all about the inside and your linear path within. But you were very good at staying connected, as you said, maintaining it over time. So you didn't just try to call up the network when you needed it, but you built great relationships in and out. Any secrets on that front?
1: I'd say be authentic. I mean, there are so many people building this network for obvious reasons, for career advancements it becomes transactional and people see through that very easily. So I genuinely like the people that I work with and to build a relationship and friendship and affection. I don't look at it as a network. I look at it as like friendship that you build. And so authentically, you need to A, want it. People will try to do it artificially and then ring up people when they need a transaction. You can see through that, and this network doesn't last for too long. That's something that you need to develop this. You need to, even if you're an introvert, to have some affectionate relationships that you build that is beyond just the work that you do, and you should enjoy that. The second lesson learned, which you said very cleverly, is when I was at Honeywell, I knew everybody in Honeywell. It's an ocean, and you knew the ocean very well. But I hardly knew anybody outside of Honeywell. And nobody's going to come to Morristown to meet you. You start assuming since you're a VP or a CIO or whatever, the world revolves around you. And I took a lot of trips to Silicon Valley to go meet with other people, startups and so on. And that was very useful for me. You have to force yourself to get out of the country, get out of the state, get out of the city, and build newer networks that turned out to be pretty useful. And in a place like Silicon Valley, one thing that is great for somebody like me, although not during the coronavirus time, is I genuinely enjoy talking to people, entrepreneurs, people with ideas and so on. And this network makes it so easy. Literally, I'm a mile away from Google and Apple headquarters and Facebook and so on. And so just to go and meet in a bar or a coffee house, you will run into people who are in other industries. And that is remarkable. I've never worked in an environment. Perhaps New York City is a little like that for financial industry. But I now know more people outside of my company that I know in my company, it's, the role has changed right now.
0: And how are you finding then the working from home and the change in that regard? And what part of that do you think will be long lasting and what might balance back out from your perspective?
1: I rationalized it. first few months, I was just over the moon. We are also trying to enable everybody to work remotely as a CIO. So I was over the moon. I was delighted. I said, this is the work 2.0 and this is the future. I'm going to work for my beach. And We're never going to see an office anymore. We don't need to see people. Life is wonderful. And once that thing runs out, I'm feeling like I actually miss that. I actually, hopefully they change the rules where we are allowed to hug people because that's what I'm missing. I want to see people because I do enjoy working with them. Luckily, we have built the glue. Some of us have built the glue through networking or coffee drinking or beer drinking or wine or whatever. So we have the glue and we are able to work on a phone or a video conference, but you cannot take that for granted. So you can last for three, four months. And after a while, it becomes out of sight, out of mind. So it's very tedious. I'm now at a stage I feel like, okay, productivity is still way high, but it's going to start dropping for sure. For several reasons. One is you are missing the glue and new people are coming in. I've never met them. They don't know me. And something I may say in an email may not come across the way. It'll come across with somebody like you who's known me for a while. So I worry about the lack of building the glue, if you will. And then on top of it, you could also become disengaged. Work is all about just clicking on a video conference and joining. What prevents it from clicking and joining a video conference for another job or another place? So now I'm at a stage where I feel like, okay, there has to be some hybrid combination. It's not going to be all or nothing. And I'm looking forward to the days when I can actually probably go into work to maybe just socialize and be a human being, and then you can do your operations reviews and one-on-ones, other kind of meetings over a Zoom or a video conference. So I think the future, that's how it looks to me. The hybrid is what looks to me as the best future state for us.
0: As we look ahead more broadly in terms of how we'll work or some of the other implications, any other things you see ahead that you might call out?
1: I think it's a great time to be employed for yourself the millennials, some of them have this thing for me incorporated. And I don't think that's a bad word. So it's a good time to be self-employed if you can. You can still be loyal to a company, but you have an opportunity to do a hundred other things. Not necessarily competitive. I'm not saying that you have to do anything that is not ethical. You can still be loyal to a company, but maybe I'll be a musician and make a few dollars on the side or be an educator or a mentor. And so I have a feeling this is a great opportunity for the hybrid gig economy, if you will, so that's one thing that has definitely happened. We got into a health professional since we can't go to the gym and I'm working with her remotely, and I don't even know where she is. I just see her on the video and so now I'm thinking that would work forever if I like this person. I don't have to see her on a daily basis to go work out or have nutrition tips so I think this I'm looking at it as an opportunity and say this creates a fabulous opportunity for that and then. The thing I'm truly excited about the future is, I think one thing I forgot to mention is the reason that I was able to do well was I had a few good teachers when I was growing up, especially at high school. Not DNA, I mean, I could say hard work, whatever, but it's got nothing special and I I really feel like I had a really few good teachers who taught me, whether it's English or history or just ethics, and it is so difficult to find good teachers. money into education there are a lot of schools but it's very difficult to find good teachers now with this remote technology if you can use zoom to create really good teachers if you can find super teachers to teach 10 other teachers who can teach 30 other kids etc it's a great equalizer so i believe now you'll have an opportunity to get a lot of talent and they don't have to be necessarily in silicon valley And you don't have to fight the visas, relocation, all the other kind of stuff. So that's the future I'm excited about is now you can really source global, great culture, educate people, make education equalizer, if you will. And then medicine. I mean, you know, if you want to see a doctor right now, unless you have coronavirus, you probably would be doing over a video call or a phone call. So why couldn't this be? Again, there are a lot of doctors, but there are a few really good doctors If those few good doctors can train other good doctors or they can now dial in and do a diagnosis of people in remote places, villages, et cetera, how much better would healthcare be? So those two areas I'm really excited about from a social standpoint to say, I hope everybody gets the opportunity that I got with three good teachers somewhere in a small school in India and access to great doctors, especially if you have complicated cases.
0: Awesome everything you mentioned is a future to get excited about. When you said, for example, you could be a fabulous musician in the gig economy, we're audio so people can't see these four amazing guitars that I am seeing behind you. You obviously have something going on been <laughs> work. Tell us about that. Are you quite balanced or you find that hard to balance work and life? And do you also aspire to make that something professional?
1: I'm actually struggling, like most people, to balance work and family. I roll out of my bed, which is behind, and then I'm in a conference, and then I can stay forever and then roll back into bed. So there's no boundaries, etc. So I struggle with that. And there's a different kind of pressure that comes in. So I never thought you'd have mental stress working from home. That's kind of why I got into it, is just to get a break of scene and say, things are fine. I never expected to have a guitar. Now I have a guitar and I can play it. I'm fine. So, and the music also, some people listen to music, but playing also forces you to learn a skill that you are not using it. Some people do work out. I've also done something, and I keep talking about this in my all-hands meeting. I never talked of the fact that I've done a form of meditation on and off through my life. And I never paid attention to it because I grew up learning that in India and I felt like Anytime it comes free to you, like yoga was free to me and I never paid attention until now, when they charge you a lot of money, you think it's fabulous. But it was free and it was available next door for me and I never paid attention to yoga. I never paid attention to meditation because it was free. It was there. Now I'm doing this and people call it mindfulness. But that is definitely, people can tell me the days I've done it and the days I have not done it. Oh, interesting. So My assistant clearly knows the days I'm irritated and she knows I haven't done my meditation. So now I'm talking about that at at all hands meetings because I want other people to pick whatever they want, whether it's mindfulness, exercise, arts, whatever. You need some time for yourself to get your sanity. And the second thing is, I think there is a little bit of, there's no separation of work and family yet. So we need to have the discipline to say, I'm going to start my work at eight. I'm going to do my bicycle run or running or whatever, come back. I've started forcibly drinking tea or coffee at 5.30, six o'clock with my wife. She doesn't want to do it. She's doing it for more for me. <laughs> but that makes it look like the day is over for a period of time. And then you can come back and check your emails. And I think this is a struggle. And a lot of people... And a lot of managers are not there, so they are abusing this. We have things like Slack and phone calls, and people are accessible all the time, and people just assume that, hey, Mary, are you available for five minutes? Without realizing that person is in the middle of daycare or baby care or whatever, and they feel obligated to stop what they are doing. So I think managers have to get a little bit more sensitive during this time as well.
0: Totally agree. You would mention, and I'm just curious about this, Way back in 2000, when at Honeywell digital transformation was kind of before, even the word transformation was early. I mean, I remember saying to people, oh, I've been involved in leading transformation for X years, and they said, No, it just came about. And I mean, no, it didn't. But what is it about a company that is advanced like that, or individuals who go into those roles which are risky or earlier than other things, like even when whatever agility came around or something. What is it about those who go first, do you think, or go early, if I put it that way?
1: I was like a body surfer, and I always loved people who surf. Surfing is something important. And I've known a lot of surfers in Southern California. go, they would dress well. They'd go at 5.30 a.m. and just wait for the waves to come and do nothing. <laughs> so they want to work for the perfect wave. And there are people who jump on quickly and wipe out. It's, I kind of watch that. And my especially with technology, but most carriers, you've got to ride the wave in front of you. And you've got to keep riding the wave. I mean, you cannot say, okay, I've done this digital transformation. So I rode the wave on real-time robotics manufacturing. And then that went to China and other places. Then you have a few things on AI. That disappeared for a period of time. Then you have this digital transformation, digitization, and that disappeared. And guess what? These waves come back as well. So you need to know when to ride the wave and how to get the maximum out of it. And it gets scarier as you get a little older in your career because how long are you going to keep surfing? And if you get scared, you're going to get wiped out. That's what I tell people. The minute you get scared and you don't want to ride the wave and take the risk, it's time to sit on the beach. Because just being scared and standing there, it's not a good place to be. You'll get hurt. That's why I think of it as waves and say, you got to want to ride the wave. you got to go faster the wave, the bigger the wave, the better, jump on it, jump on it at the right time. My memory doesn't remember any bad things. I've trained my memory to remember only the good times. Okay. <laughs> so I always have such a wonderful memory of my life at Honeywell, how great the company was, great people and so on. I'm sure there were days it was not that great, but somehow I've forgotten it. <laughs> so that's a good thing to have is just ride the wave and then forget about the wipeout you had and go on the next wave. because. You start second-guessing yourself if you start trying to overanalyze your mistakes that you made.
0: You've given already a ton of really big nuggets of career advice. But is there anything else that you haven't shared yet that is something that has either served you well or has stayed with you throughout your career that you might share?
1: I think being authentic has helped me. If you're authentically a good I mean, there are a lot of mistakes I have Friends who know me just know that's how he is. He's got a weird sense of humor and so on. And people calibrate around you. So you don't have to be this perfect person, but it'll be good to be authentic and consistent. So people know this is what, when Bass says this, this is what he means. People are unbelievably resilient. But if you're up and down and up and down and up and down all the time, they don't know how to calibrate. So to me, the way you see me on a Saturday morning is how I show up at work, good or bad. And I try to go to companies that tolerate that culture. In this day and age, especially with the next generation of people, they want to work for not a company that pays them a lot of money. They want to work for great companies who do great things for the environment or the society, and they want really good people. So whatever good means, I'm saying just be a good person because you won't get good talent coming and working for you if you're an evil person or a bad person. And people figure you out. They have to just make two clicks. And all of us have a Yelp rating on how good a bad leader you are, and it's difficult to change it. So that's helped me is once you find your authentic self, with all your mistakes, just play the same thing so people know who you are. And surprisingly, people are able to calibrate as long as you have some core of goodness in you. Because I tried to polish myself. I mean, I've, same comments I've gotten about what I should do. When I try to polish myself then I felt like I was not the same person. I was not having a good time and people didn't feel like that I was being authentic as well. So while you want to pay attention to feedback and try to get to a better place, if you overdo that, then you come across very fake.
0: Totally agree. I have such big nuggets here. And I want to tell you, these are some that I've heard people will all take their own away, but following your passions and curiosities, taking risks, taking risks, Making the best of the cards you're dealt with. Leveraging and maintaining your network consistently over time. Continue to work on being a great people leader. It's not a natural. It's something you work on all the time. Improve handling stress because it's always going to be there and it's a big deal to continue to get better at that. The future is something to get really excited about, especially all the gig aspects and the openness. Or the possibility of what that'll bring for us. Keep riding the waves. And if you need a break, sit on the beach and get back in if you'd like to get back in. But at the end of the day, as you said, be authentic and really consistent who you really are as a leader. Beth, thank you so much. Look, as the CIO of VMware, you are supremely busy. And we really appreciate you letting us learn from all your rich experience, but also these real nuggets of wisdom. That you've shared with us today. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Mary. My pleasure.
0: For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at Modern Career Pod. We'll include the sources noted in the episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon.